Hoffman loses control of the puck and goes to the far board. Here's Gerald with a turnaround shot deflected to the backboard on the left side. Martin pokes it out in front. O'Shea, a shot and a goal! Welcome to A Shot and a Goal, part of the On the Air Podcast Network. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 11 of A Shot and a Goal, a podcast focusing on hockey broadcasters. I'm Jake Baskin and I was holding off for a while but I've finally started watching The Last Dance. I wanted to watch it all at once and was going to start when every episode had been released but my dad was itching to watch and who am I to say no to my dad? We've caught up now and I'm fully invested so thanks dad. Between The Last Dance and the John Boyce Mariners series, I have enough new sports content to keep me busy for now, but I'm going to struggle to keep myself occupied once all the episodes are released. I'll find something for sure, but I don't know exactly what yet. If you have any recommendations, please tell me. They don't have to be sports necessarily. I seem to have overbooked myself with guests. By the time I record my interview with my 21st guest, I think I only have 13 episodes actually released. Even with the schedule I'm on, I think I'm overdoing it, and I don't really know how to stop. I like interviewing people, and I'm bored, and I keep on asking announcers to come on. That seems to have worked a little too well this week, but it means we're going to have some really good episodes coming up, including more from the NHL and AHL. My guest today is the podcast first from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, a league that I don't have all that much familiarity with due to the language barrier for most teams and general dearth of American players in the league. Mike Sanderson is our guest. Thanks to Evan Oppenheimer for the recommendation. Mike is one of the voices of the St. John Sea Dogs, who have a very interesting broadcast setup that I didn't even know about until right before the interview. The team has seven different broadcasters, depending on where they're playing. Mike calls the team's road games in Moncton, New Brunswick, against the Moncton Wildcats. He's called some other games throughout the province of New Brunswick, but most of the games he calls in a given year are at the Avenir Center with the Wildcats hosting the Sea Dogs, which is, I have to assume, unique to this particular team. Mike has a very busy schedule outside of play-by-play, too. He scouts the queue for McKean's Hockey, he's a DJ for a radio station in Moncton on weekends, and he has a day job. You'll have to stay the entire episode to find out what it is. A side note. I don't know the price of international calls at the moment, or if that's still something I have to worry about in this day and age, but I'd like to give an extra thank you to Mike for calling me over the phone rather than the other way around. Our first Canadian guest, Mike Sanderson, from the St. John Sea Dogs, on episode 11 of A Shot and a Goal. Husnadinov and Richkov draw the assists on the Chaika goal on the power play. Down low is Panomarov. He tries to get out with it. Bednash with the poke check. Panomarov again, center in front. Kohanen the shot, he scores! Kohanen's blast from in tight. Bednash got some of it, but not all of it. And it squeaks through the Czech Republic goaltender. 3-0 Team Russia. Hi, and welcome to episode 11 of A Shot and a Goal. Part of the On the Air Podcast Network. I'm Jake Baskin. My guest today, the first guest that someone else, a third party, has requested that I have on, one of the voices of the St. John Sea Dogs of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, Mike Sanderson. 
How's it going, Mike? Oh, things are very good. Happy to uh, be able to chat some hockey with uh, no hockey on the tube. It's been kind of getting kind of lonely. <laughs> yeah, I've been going through that NHL on YouTube thing of the classic game archives. I'm watching. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm watching the game where Mark Messier scored his 500th goal. Nice. Good choice. Good choice. How are you handling this unscheduled break? Uh, well, I mean, for us, we were only a few games left before the regular season was ended anyway. So, uh, like for me, I only had one regular season game remaining to call. And it was, I think, a few days after the season was canceled. So for me, there wasn't a whole lot left. I mean, preparing for a long run, at least for the Moncton Wildcats, where I'm based in Moncton, uh, do, get, do call the games for the Sea Dogs, but I am based in Moncton. Um, for me, there was a chance to do some local TV work, perhaps. But, you know, other than that, I mean, you know, I'm handling it the way I guess everyone else is handling it. We're all kind of itching to get some competition, itching to get some hockey together. But uh, certainly I miss calling games, of course. But, uh, you know, I think everybody's doing what we have to right now. You seem to be a very busy man. Explain to me everything that you do. <laughs> uh, just from the from the hockey perspective, I do call games for the St. John Sea Dogs. I'm one of, I believe, five or six announcers that we have there. A couple of years ago, the uh, regular voice of the St. John Sea Dogs, Tim Roselle, uh, was uh, poached in a way by the Moncton Wildcats. Um, he left the Sea Dogs and joined the the Moncton Wildcats. So John Moore, who is the longtime broadcaster of the Halifax Mooseheads, former a broadcaster voice of the Mooseheads got a group of us together for uh, the St. John Sea Dogs to do broadcasts via the web. So we do some webcast work. And uh, last year I did seven or eight games. This year I did more, 12 or 13 or so. And uh, so I do that. Uh, I've also done some local TV, TV work here for uh, the local Q broadcast in Moncton. Also some games in St. John as well as uh, Rogers TV covers the three uh, New Brunswick teams uh, here in the province. So uh, the Moncton Wildcats, the St. John Sea Dogs, and the Acme Bathurst Titan uh, up north. And um, so I've done a few games with them. I only did a couple games with them this year. Uh, on top of that, I do write for McKean's Hockey. I've been there for the last, uh, I believe, two or three seasons now uh, doing some uh, writing and some scouting work. Uh, I don't. I always hesitate to call it scouting just because I'm not employed by a team. But I guess uh, the better way to put it would be maybe player evaluation. Uh, we do some reports uh, in terms of the way a player plays, and we rank players' uh, skills based on particular uh, skill sets. And then we also write a column uh, that started this year, which is uh, posted on NBC's Roto World. Um, so that's been a big part of uh, the McKean's work that I've been doing this year, and that's been a whole lot of fun. And just in terms of the hockey stuff, that's been rolling that way. I also have a weekend radio show locally in Moncton uh, that I host on a local station. And I have a day job on top of that. So uh, it's uh, fun to keep up. And uh, with a son that's almost two, it keeps me busy, busy, busy. In a previous time in my life, which is only about two or three years ago, I was interested in scouting. And I was in talks with McKean's to do some stuff on the American side. It just it was also around the time I was losing interest in it, so I decided not to go through with that. But it's good to see the scouting service. I know Ryan's a really nice guy. It's still up and running. Mm-hmm. When did you decide you wanted to work in media, and what made you want to? Uh, it's It's been, honestly, a long time. To say lifelong, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but certainly uh, for as long as I can remember, uh, being... Not particular being in the media, but there's a certain excitement in telling stories to people that I think is is very um, 
you know, it's, it's very contagious. And uh, for me in particular, you know, conveying those stories and controlling the message and all of that stuff, it really, really appealed to me. Um, I did grow up in Moncton. I live here now and I grew up uh, other than the years I spent in university. I've lived here all my life. Um, my, my interest in hockey started with uh, Don Cherry Rock'em Sock'em tapes mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, picking those up at three or four and, you know, it, and, and while it's not commentary, certainly Don Cherry is a name that's ubiquitous with hockey in Canada. And, you know, that's uh, definitely a name that is recognizable. And, you know, his highlight tapes really got me interested in the game from that from that avenue and that perspective from uh, into a general media point of view. I mean, I was reading the paper from the age I was five, probably, and I used to read the paper every morning uh, before I would go to school. So, you know, that always really appealed to me. The sports part really always appealed to me. So it was a natural uh, progression to put the two together and uh, kind of mold it in. And that's uh, what I ended up doing. I did go to university for journalism. I have a journalism degree and uh, I took a lot of radio and TV when I was in university, but I ended up being a print writer out of it. And I've done uh, stuff in uh, all three avenues of media and even further to that in social media as well. So print, radio, TV, I've done it all. Who are the biggest influences on your career? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I would say the first influence that I can think of is um, a, a former broadcaster by the name of Will McLaren. I don't know necessarily if I should say former. I think he is still doing some work, uh, but uh, he's since moved uh, out of the city uh, and he now lives in Halifax. So uh, I know he was trying to do some work with Eastlink TV down there. Uh, but he's probably my first true broadcasting influence because uh, I was doing work. We'll, we'll run a little bit of the, of the career just to kind of sum it up. Uh, out of university, I didn't have any work and I wanted to keep writing. So I wrote for a website called Open Ice Hockey. Uh, this would have been around 2011 or so. And uh, from there, that was how I was able to get into a press box. And, you know, in, and, and for some people, especially writing writing blogs and writing on the Internet, that could be really tough. But thankfully, you know, they had enough enough credence and enough presence to allow me to uh, to get a spot, you know, in a press box, get a press pass and, and go upstairs and cover games. So uh, with through Open Ice Hockey, I was writing player profiles. I would go down and interview players and and uh, and write profiles about them and and write some some column work uh, with them. So through that, I was able to make a trip to the 2012 Memorial Cup uh, in Shawinigan, in Quebec. Now, for those who don't know, the Memorial Cup is kind of the the Canadian Junior Hockey uh, Championship, kind of like the Frozen Four right. in the states. Uh, the Memorial Cup is basically the same thing. The three Canadian leagues. Uh, their champions of each league will play with a host team uh, to win the Memorial Cup at the week-long tournament in May. Um, so I was forced to be able to cover that on behalf of Open Ice Hockey, and there I met a pair of future colleagues who at the time were writing for Yahoo Sports. And uh, through them, I did some networking, was able to stay in contact with them, and by the end of 2012, uh, they had contacted me uh, for uh, interest in writing for a now-defunct blog called Buzz in the Net on Yahoo Sports, which is a Canadian junior hockey uh, blog. I faintly remember that blog. Yeah, covering, and I was covering the Q more specifically, but I would do some some general CHL work there. So uh, so with Yahoo, I was there for probably four or five seasons, um, covering that stuff for Buzz in the Net. And through that, that really gave some credibility to what I was doing, which really helped. Uh, that gave me a little bit more of a presence uh, to say, yeah, I'm from Yahoo Sports, you know, I'm from Buzz in the Net. Uh, which which really helped, and through that, it was able to give me even more contacts, more networking through the media world. And uh, in the press box, you you're there so frequently, so you, you end up making friends. And one of them is is Will McLaren, um, who is the the not so former broadcaster that I mentioned at the top of the story. 
Um, but when I met him, he was the communications director for the Maritime Hockey League, which is the league just below the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. It's Junior A. And um, he was not only the communications director, but also the play-by-play announcer uh, for the Quebec Commandos, uh, which is a team locally in Moncton. That's Junior A, right? Yeah, Junior A Hockey and the Maritime Hockey League. And Will was the play-by-play guy, and he said, well, you know your hockey. Why don't you come on with me and try and try a game? So I said, oh, okay. So after a month or so of him of him kind of you know pestering me, bugging me a little bit, I was like, all right, okay, I'll try it. Uh, because in, in when I was growing up, you know, I mean, there was hockey in Canada uh, mm. every week, and that was kind of the only exposure to live hockey that we had. But we had the NHL video games, so right. I was able to uh, to play some of those. You know, NHL '99 and 2000, 2001. I used to play those on my computer and turn the commentary down. Mm-hmm. So I used to be the play-by-play announcer when I was ten or twelve or however old I was. So that was kind of my first exposure to doing hockey announcing, and. Uh, him asking me to be on his broadcast was kind of rekindling that. And because I had such an interest in media, such an interest in telling stories, I said, okay, all right, I'll try it. And uh, so for my first game, I was hooked. I was doing color commentary uh, with him on the webcasts for the, uh, for the DF commandos. And through the rest of that season, I don't think I missed a game after he had asked me at least a home game anyway, because we were covering home games. And uh, from, the end of that season through to the summer, uh, Will had decided to leave that job and had committed to uh, being the communications director on a more full-time basis. And he said, the play-by-play job is open if you want it. So I said, okay, I'll take it. So that was my first play-by-play gig. Uh, I was with the DF Commandos, and he was definitely my first, uh, my first um, I don't know if hero is necessarily the right word, but my first real exposure and mentor uh, in the uh, play-by-play broadcasting uh, community and certainly I, I I owe him a lot uh, for what I've been able to do since. Uh, further through that, in uh, working with the Commando, so I was doing some some broadcasting work and I was able to uh, hook up with another uh, former colleague in Marty Kingston, who at the time the next season had taken over the voice of the Moncton Wildcats in the Quebec Major Junior League. So uh, he kind of had a revolving door of color commentators that first month or so of the season so through will he was also doing some local tv work uh i was able to connect with him and said hey if you want someone on the tv broadcast to do an intermission segment or just to just to talk for you know 10 or 11 minutes and fill an intermission let me know because he was doing this work in st john so i said we'll drive up we'll i'll do an intermission um segment with you and then I'll, i'll see the game and we'll come back so they were playing moncton and so I contacted Marty and said, hey, I'm going to be at the game. This was November uh, 2004, I think. Uh, I said, I'll, I'll be at the game. You know, would you, I don't have anything to do during the game. Would you, would you mind if I join you? Do you want me to join you for, for your broadcast? And he said, sure. So uh, then I was able to jump in and do some, some cue work. So that first game went really well. And from that point, uh, I was uh, his color commentator whenever I could make it for mostly home games. And that lasted for about uh, three years. So uh, Marty was definitely exposure for me and another mentor that I can definitely call uh, towards uh, previous to the Wildcats work uh, about 30 years ago. He was doing work in the American Hockey League when Moncton had an AHL team uh, with the Moncton Hawks. He was their play-by-play announcer for a couple of seasons. So, you know, to have that uh, kind of experience uh, with a young broadcaster who's trying to jump into the game, that was a huge 
huge boost. And another mentor that I can think who really helped me in my early career and uh, still helps me to this day is uh, George Matthews, who calls games for the uh, Charlottetown Islanders on uh, on occasion now. But uh, he has 13 years of experience calling NHL games for the Columbus Blue Jackets on the radio. Oh, wait, uh, yeah, so I remember that name. I didn't know that's what he was up to. Edward Island had called some games there in Junior A, and Doug McLean had plucked him from there and said, hey, you're going to call games in Columbus. <laughs> uh, so... So he ended up doing that for 13 seasons, came back to retire, and was doing Charlottetown Islanders games mostly full-time for a little bit, and now he does the occasional game. But uh, he really helped me with, with a lot of the little things that a lot of a lot of people don't tell you about uh, when coming into the game. The, the biggest advice that he gave me that has really stuck with me in my broadcasts is he said, whenever you can, when you have an opening, is always say the players who are on the ice. Just give a rundown of who's on the ice, because he said... No matter who's listening, you know that families of the players are listening, and they want to hear their they want to hear their their relatives' name, whoever it is. Maybe it's the only game they get in that league. Maybe it's the only chance they get to see the ice. But if they hear that person's name, then they're going to know they were in the game, and they're going to really be really happy with that. So that always stuck with me. Uh, so a couple of times, uh, a minute or two, you know, every face-off, if I can fit it in, it say the players who are on the ice because you know somebody's listening and wants to hear their name. That's a good piece of advice. So as it currently stands, I know you do work for all three teams in New Brunswick, I guess. I've never been to New Brunswick. Uh, mm-hmm. How many games across the season do you get to call for everything you do? Uh, this season, I think it was about 15 to 17 or 18 games. I called a couple of games on TV this year, and then mostly uh, through the Sea Dogs broadcast on Sea Dogs Live. I don't... I don't do work with the Wildcats team anymore. I am a Sea Dog employee for all intents and purposes. Um, last season it was seven or eight. The year before that, uh, through combining the Commandos Junior A games plus uh, the Wildcats games, it was probably close to eighty games, roughly. Um, through for a couple of a couple of seasons previous to that, um, just based in circumstance, it's been a little bit less now. I think the itch is more to do more games now for me. I would love to do more games, but I'd say. Uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, it was probably 70 or 80 games. How do you keep tabs on the Sea Dogs when you're not calling their games? Um, I think the biggest key, and this is true um, regardless of whether you're calling every game or not, is preparation. And, you know, the, the Sea Dogs, fortunately, the, the webcasts are available. So I do try to listen while I'm prepping for that game, while I'm prepping for my game. I do try to listen to the previous game if I have it available. Uh, just to kind of catch up and see how how they're playing, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, just keep tabs of a lot of different things. Um, I think that you know the official news sources or the media news sources are one thing. There's another thing to keep an ear uh, to the ground and uh, be listening to what fans and season ticket holders are saying and people who are close to the team are saying. I think that's just as important because as a broadcaster, you're the voice of the fans, not only of the team, but you're also the voice of the fans, and you have to convey. Uh, what they're feeling and you have to be aware of what the audience is thinking in order to convey the proper emotion, convey the proper passion. So uh, if you can stay in contact or at least get a feel of how the fans are feeling about a particular, you know, point in time of the season or, you know, not only what's reported in the media, but also beyond that, you know, how if you can get a tap on how the players are feeling, how the staff is feeling, uh, how, how the fans are feeling. I think all of that is really important coming into a broadcast so keeping tabs on that it's a little bit tougher not being in the city mm-hmm. um, but fortunately St. John is only about an hour away uh, so you don't really feel like you're that far away 
and uh, I have enough friends that I can kind of gossip with that we do we do end up picking a lot of the stuff. Uh, some of it you can air and some of it you can't. But you know you do get you do kind of get the feel of it. You you learn who's who's a good person to go to to get a pulse check uh, on the organization or on the city or how the market's feeling, and you kind of just go from there. A lot of it is it, as I said, it's preparation and research and just kind of knowing where to go to get the right tabs and the right information. How much do you get to interact with players? Um, I think there's more opportunity than I really take, but uh, I, I choose, uh, other than interviews for the most part, to kind of stay away from them a little bit. Um, I think that the broadcasts, I know I know some broadcasters, not that they get downright chummy with players, but uh, you know some, some broadcasters like to get close to players, some of them uh, not so much. I think there's a certain professional distance um, that you kind of have to take. Uh, as a broadcaster a little bit and you can you can be friendly with them and you can get to know them and things like that but I think there is a certain professional distance you have to keep uh, from the players just in order to call a game properly um, I think that you need to be able to keep a certain not necessarily a neutral eye but a certain eye that that can can see the good and the bad and differentiate for what it is in order to call a game properly and uh, some some broadcasters I'm sure can can navigate that while being friends with players but uh, I, I don't interact with them much and some of that is my choice and some of that is, is circumstance The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League obviously has teams in French and English Canada you've mentioned a few of the other broadcasters in the Maritimes how much have you interacted with the various French broadcasters throughout the league? Uh, a little bit um, being in the Maritimes is the way the schedule works in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is all Maritime teams play each other at least eight times. Mm-hmm. Um, so do the math, that's five other teams in the division, eight or nine times you're looking at two-thirds of the schedule is between English-speaking opponents, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, there is some interaction. I have uh, been able to, to talk with uh, broadcasters from the, from the French side of things, from Quebec. Um, have had some pretty good interactions with some of them. Um, nothing, I, I don't have a, a lasting friendship in particular with a lot of them, but uh, there are certainly some that I talk to on a semi-regular basis to, to kind of get the pulse of what it's like uh, over in Quebec. But, uh, a lot of it, uh, you, you kind of just say hi to them in passing. You only see them a couple times a year or so. Uh, you know, there's not enough to really develop, uh, that much of a relationship with the French broadcasters, but uh, the ones I've talked to, they've all been great. In your career at a variety of different levels, who are some of the notable players whose games you've called over the years? Uh, I remember one game, probably the first notable game in Junior A uh, in in uh, Dieppe with the Dieppe Commandos. There was one game where uh, Robbie Graham, who ended up, I can't remember if he led the league in scoring, but he definitely led the Commandos in scoring that year. Uh, this I would have been doing color. Uh, he had a six-goal game mm-hmm. at the end of the regular season, which was uh, – not the record in the Maritime Hockey League, but certainly it was the most goals scored that I had seen from a player in any game that I had watched. I know the Q record for goals in a game is eight. I'm not sure what the Maritime League record is, but the C6, uh, and I think he had all six wrapped up by the end of the second period, uh, was uh, was crazy, uh, certainly to call that. You know, it was tough, especially as a young broadcaster, because... You know, you're you're filling time when something amazing is happening, and how do you not keep mentioning it? Because it is the story of the game, right? Uh, and certainly, you know that that was what had us the most exciting that night. Uh, I called a few playoff overtime goals. I think the first notable, uh, a couple of notable junior A players. I know Mika Sear was playing junior A at 16 
and I called his the, his home games that season. His first season, he ended up going among the Wildcats. Uh, ended up getting invited to uh, Philadelphia Flyers uh, rookie camp this past summer, and uh, he's got some pro prospects. I know he's planning on, or at least is committed to university uh, hockey here in here in Moncton actually uh, for next season. There is a robust uh, university hockey league in Canada that does not get the appreciation that it that it deserves. Frankly, at least in my mind, I, to me, that's the best kept secret in Canada is university hockey in Canada, uh, the U sports level. A lot of Q players end up playing in that level. A lot of junior A players end up playing in that level. Um, Robbie Graham, who I just mentioned, ended up playing and just finished his career actually uh, with the Université de Moncton Aigle Bleu. Uh, it's a French university here in Moncton. Um, moving forward to that, calling games for the Wildcats, uh, Ivan Barbashev was definitely a notable name. Connor Garland, who right. just led the uh, Arizona Coyotes in goal scoring, uh, he had two years of 130 points in uh, in the Q the two two of the seasons that I called for him, and uh, certainly he was. Uh, a generational talent at the junior level uh, and has found his way into the NHL through hard work. And, you know, it's it's not often you see a guy who's that much of a finesse player have to change his game uh, that much to make the NHL level, but he did. When he was in junior, he was a guy who held the puck a lot and played two-and-a-half, three-minute shifts and, you know, was, was uh, a phenomenal stick handler and an excellent offensive player, uh, but certainly sometimes he would drive you nuts at the junior hockey level just for how long his shifts would be and uh, how long he would stay on the ice. But, you know, he went to the AHL. He got the junior out of his game, as a lot of AHL uh, players and commentators like to say. That's the first thing you got to do is get the junior out of your game and uh, turn into a professional hockey player, and he's done an excellent job so far. And at the NHL level, he's been playing very well, and there's a lot of people who didn't suspect that he would have made it that far. But uh, he did an excellent job, and he's out of uh, Situate, Massachusetts. So uh, kudos to him, and excellent work for him. Calling his games were a treat. Uh, a lot of the time in St. John, there was uh, Thomas Shabbat was there uh, for uh, mm-hmm. called a couple of uh, couple of games for him a season when he was there in St. John for uh, local TV, and he was an excellent defenseman. A lot of players on that 2017 St. John Seahawks team uh, were very very good. Joe Valeno, who's now playing AHL hockey with the Grand Rapids Griffins, uh, Detroit Red Wing pick uh, with St. John, he was uh, an excellent hockey player uh, playing at the junior hockey level with St. John, and then in Drummondville. Uh, just a number of players off that St. John team that uh, you can you can pick. Boko Imamo was a very interesting uh, power forward uh, for the St. John Seahawks. He's now playing at the AHL level, I uh, believe, in he's either with Tampa or LA. I forget which organization he's with. But um, he's he was a phenomenal player to watch, just so powerful, and scored 40 goals the last year he was there. Um, Julian Gauthier, who now has had his cup of coffee in the NHL. Matt Highmore, who now has had his cup of coffee with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, just so many different players coming straight from from uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and take a couple of seasons, they end up at the NHL level. So, uh, you know, the, the Canadian Hockey League is, is uh, it's always cool to see which players kind of grow from your from your town and, and jump up to the NHL level. And, you know, we, you know, you see those players play two or three years before, and some of them even the year previous. So, uh, one one player who's going to make the jump next year, Alexi Lafreniere, has been excellent for the last three seasons in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. To watch him has been phenomenal. There are so many great players that come into the Quebec League. I ask this of every junior and college announcer I've had on the podcast thus far: What's the longest game you've called? Uh, I've called a couple double overtime games. I think the longest game that I called, I was doing color, 
with the Wildcats, and it seems to me there was a triple overtime game that I did once, but um, I don't entirely remember, but I know there were a few double overtime games. The longest game that I called that was the most significant was probably, I remember the first overtime game that I called, I think it was the second ever game that I called with the DF Commandos, that one went to double overtime, and uh, probably the game with the most consequence that I called uh, went to double overtime as well with the Commandos the next season. It actually won the series, they ended up going to the finals. And uh, I did use that call as part of a demo for a couple of applications that I'd made to a couple of teams uh, the next year. Um, so I think the longest game, yeah, I mean, working with the Sea Dogs, we haven't had a playoff game since I've worked mm. with them. So um, that really hasn't happened. But for the Wildcats, we had a few. And for the Commandos, we had a couple. I think the most, maybe not the longest game, but the most interesting uh, overtime game that I called, I called some games for the 2018 World Under-17 Hockey Challenge I remember last year. That. Um, which was in St. John and Quispam Sist, and I was able to call, <clears throat> not too many broadcasters can say this, but I was able to call a Team Canada win against Team USA in a playoff game in that tournament. And that was probably the, the funnest and maybe finest moment of my career thus far. I remember that game. I was watching it because I followed Team USA a lot. I don't watch a lot of the queue, but I remember watching when Garland was in there to keep tabs on him. Mm-hmm. In addition to broadcasting... You don't want to say you scout, but you write about the QMJHL for a scouting service. How often do you get to games you're not calling? Um, I mean, the the opportunity to do it is certainly there most nights. Um, I could travel to uh, St. John and see a game. I could travel to, to many of the games. Fortunately, being in Moncton, most teams in the Maritime Division of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League are only a couple hours away. Um, so, for instance, Bathurst is two, two and a half hours. Halifax is two and a half hours. Uh, Charlottetown is two hours and a bit. St. John's an hour and a bit. So um, to be able to see those games, um, it would be pretty easy. Uh, because I have a young son, I've taken a step back from a little bit of live watching, though I would say I get to see probably 30, 40 games this past season. How does your broadcasting job affect your scouting job and vice versa? Uh, it's definitely different. And I find if I'm going to scout a player, I much prefer to watch them in a game that I'm not calling, though if I don't have a choice, I mean, I'll certainly have to bite the bullet and kind of recognize what I have to recognize while I'm calling the game, though it's not something I really want to do. But um, I find that the scouting part and the broadcasting part don't really mesh for what you're supposed to look for. Um, The broadcasting part, you need more of a... Uh, an overall view, you need kind of a top-down perspective. And, uh, you know, being able to see everything on the ice as it happens, uh, if you're going to call a game for play-by-play, whereas in scouting, you've got you know, your, your players that, that you want to see or the players that you want to get reports and notes on, you're going to want to watch them a little bit more particularly. Um, so that kind of runs opposite to, to the object of play-by-play and certainly what you should be focusing on if you're calling uh, a game. So, you know, if I can do it, I would much rather see a game where those players are playing that I'm not calling just because it makes the scouting part a whole lot easier to do. Um, whereas the play by play, it is so much more involved. Um, if you want to do it properly, at least I find. So, um, I would much rather scout a player in a game that I'm not calling, but if I don't have a choice, it's his only visit and I've got to call it. Well, you know, you, you've got to do what you got to do. But, you know, if you're if you're scouting a player, there are certain things you're looking for that you're not going to notice when you're doing play-by-play because when you're play-by-play, 
uh, calling a game, you're going to be paying more attention to what the puck's doing or the players near the puck. Uh, whereas if you're watching a player and you're scouting a player, you really do want to see what he's doing without the puck. You want to see where he's going and what instincts he has, you know, when the puck's in the other end or, you know, when, when the puck's on the other side of the zone, you want to see where is he covering, you know, and what's he doing with it and, and where's his stick and, you know, where is he looking and kind of get a gauge of what he's trying to do. But while you're doing play-by-play, you don't really have an opportunity to do that because you have to focus on where the puck is and filling in your audience as to uh, what's going on. So, you know, I guess to answer that question, I would much rather scout in games I'm not calling, but if I don't have a choice, then I don't have a choice. Right. I think that's how you described it would be how I would think. Tell me about your day job. Uh, I work uh, as as media. I'm sure a lot of people in the media definitely understand at this point. I'm 31 years old, and um, a lot of media jobs just don't, uh, unfortunately, uh, they just don't pay the bills. So I ended up going back to college, and now I work as an accountant. So um, I do some work for the brewery here in town, and I do some, some work in their accounting office. So that day job kind of takes up... Uh, yeah, it's uh, eight to four, nine to four most uh, most days. Uh, certainly Monday to Friday, and with this latest latest uh, COVID nineteen stuff, uh, that's been a little bit reduced and a little bit of working from home. But certainly, that's uh, the majority of my working time is spent there. So uh, you know, that's kind of the focus when I'm working, and you know, so I've got that, and then the the radio job is eight to two on Saturday, and then there's a Sunday shift as well. Uh, that's thankfully recorded at least for that situation so you know that's a lot of saturday so that kind of wraps up a lot of time (laughs) last question thank you for doing this by the way oh no problem it's been a pleasure do you have any big or small or whatever career goals for the future i think everybody that enters this business wants to progress as far as they can take it and i think uh for me you know entering into my 30s now i have a family and i have you know, certain certain life goals that I've hit. And, uh, you know, from, from my perspective, I mean, certainly goals stay in the back of your mind. But for me, if this is if this is as far as I get uh, from a play-by-play perspective, that would be just fine with me. Um, but, I mean, everybody has goals. Everybody wants opportunity. I think if, if a full-time gig popped up, I think, uh, you know, considering a travel option or whatever, I think I would I would think hard to take it. And uh, certainly if there was an upgrade in that position, uh, I certainly would take it. Uh, if there was a, a play-by-play job that opened up in the National Hockey League and they wanted me, I would absolutely take it. Um, of course, I think uh, everybody in this business would say the same thing. Um, you know, certainly in terms of goals, uh, when I do a broadcast, um, you know, I, I look to produce a broadcast that as is as close to the top of the as, – as close to the top of the uh, – the broadcasting qualities, I can get it. So, you know, I, I, they say, you know, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. And, you know, work for the job you want, not the job you have. I, I call games as if I'm calling a National Hockey League game. At least that's the mentality that I have is that it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's an important game and I love to do it and I have the passion to do it. And, uh, you know, from, from a goal, I mean, you know, it's to get as far as I can get. You know, calling international games was a kick. I would love to do that again. You know, calling uh, whatever I can call and whatever opportunity I can get. You know, I, I would love to to pursue it as far as as far as it can go. You know, that's that's the goal I think for everybody. But you know, certainly for me, I, I'm settled at what I'm at and I'm content with where I am. But 
you know, everybody wants to move forward and everybody wants to, uh, to call games. If I can get the chance to call a National Hockey League game in my life, I think that would be just amazing. You know, in, in my scenario, my situation, I would love to be able to do that. So I guess, I guess that's the goal, uh, to get as far as I can go. And if I could call one National Hockey League game, that would be amazing. Mike Sanderson, everybody. Thanks for doing this, Mike. Hey, thanks so much. That was Mike Sanderson, one of the road voices of the St. John Sea Dogs. He's our first Canadian guest. Shout out to dual citizen Dan Kelly on episode six, but he definitely will not be the last. Two of the next five guests after this episode hail from north of the border. Thanks to Mike for coming on. The coolest thing I would think about calling junior hockey, and I would extend this to college hockey as well, is seeing players move on to the next level after you follow them around in the amateur ranks. I haven't had that happen yet, but I'm really itching for the moment when I can look at a professional athlete and say I called their games in college. Amanda Conway was drafted by my hometown Connecticut Whale this week, and I did call one of her games this year when her Norwich squad visited Amherst, so I'm rooting for her success as a pro. I only called four hockey games this year for NSN. I call a lot of different sports, and I'm at the mercy of what they assign me, especially in a short season like the college game has. In hindsight, I would have asked about how he handles calling games when he's gone a few weeks or even a month without calling a game, when he's not in the rhythm of calling hockey. I'd personally appreciate some advice on that myself, because the only men's game I did this year, I think I had some trouble keeping up with the frantic moments. That'll do it for episode 11 of A Shot and a Goal. You can follow me on Twitter at JakeBaskinPXP. J-A-K-E-B-A-S-K-I-N-P-X-P. You can also access the backlog of episodes on Twitter at A Shot and a Goal. I'm surprised that handle wasn't taken. The next episode will be out Wednesday, and I'm really excited to have Dave Randorf on the podcast, the number two announcer for Hockey Night in Canada. We had a really long conversation, and he's up there with John Walton for the most accomplished guest this podcast has had. And those of you who want to work in the NHL someday can get some great advice from someone who's called some important games. After that, Kelly Schultz, Bob McElligot, Pete Krupski, Jack Moore. We have a lot of bases to cover, and many more interviews will be conducted in the next couple weeks. So stay tuned. See you on Wednesday.